This is the Agile Hong Kong podcast. In this podcast, we interview Yolano Ujankina, an Agile coach currently working in Hong Kong. We are all very passionate people. We want people to change. We want them to see happier. I think it's very crucial for coaches. And my advice is uh, please hold on with your impatience and with your perfectionism. It will take time and uh, don't be discouraged. Just be there for people. It takes different time, different dynamics. It's nothing you're doing wrong or people are resisting. It takes time. We'll hear about how she became an Agile coach, how she varies her style for different countries across Asia, and some easy tweaks that can make a huge difference on the impact that your teams are having. The project should be boring. Making project boring is, uh, it sounds wrong, but it's actually what it should be. It should be comfortable to come to work and enjoy it instead of firefighting and being upset. My name is Daryl, and I'll be your host for today. So looking back at my first few encounters with Agile coaches, I noticed that each one was very different. Each one was very particular in the way that they were doing things. Uh, There was the one guy who was very stringent about story points and how user stories would be written. There was the guy who sat very quietly in the back of the room, taking notes, not saying much, but from time to time going over to the scrum master, sort of, you know, looking back at the notes, pointing to a few things, giving a few hints. And there was another coach who was a very warm, bubbly woman who was all about positivity and collaboration and all this sort of thing. So we wanted to explore more about the different types of agile coaches out there in Hong Kong, hear about their stories, and learn about the different ways that they are helping their organizations and teams adopt agile practices. So for today's podcast, we're very happy to have Yelena here to tell us her story. How are you, Yelena? Uh, It's a good day, Saturday day. Uh, I think what makes it amazing is that here in Hong Kong, we are reviving after all the shutdowns related to the virus. So I think everyone is optimistic. People are back to their offices. Everyone is so engaged and positive, seeing more people around them more than they used to in the last weeks. So I think everyone's impacted like it's Christmas again. So I hope this message reach other parts of the world and people feel more hopeful that life will resume we'll be getting back to normal because it's already starting here. Fantastic. Hang in there, everybody. So, Yelena, tell us about yourself. So, I'm I'm a lead agile coach in an insurance company uh, here in Asia working with 10 markets. Uh, As being part of the regional team, uh, it's a lot of work and it's a very happy place to be because uh, Asia, Asia is evolving so much and developing and having impacts on so many markets and spreading the word of Agile there. You're definitely one of the more positive people I've spoken to recently. Can you now tell us about your role as an Agile coach and what it is that you like to do? I'm myself of a geeky nature. I like a lot working with uh, IT, getting my hands dirty, and namely with tools. So I really, really like working with Jira. And everything connected to that, so that's my that's my passion. So I like a lot of tools, and finding ways to uh, enable teams with IT with the help of ID pro, IT, IT products, and uh, that's on top of other things every agile coach does, and that is working with the teams, working with individuals, uh, working with leaders, training, uh, coaching, mentoring, you name it. 
Okay, might come back to that one because I know there's a lot of agile <laughs> coaches out there that have differing views on Jira. But let's get started with the easy stuff. How did you get into agile coaching? A little bit by accident, a little bit by um, providence. I don't know how to put it. Uh, earlier, early, many, many years ago, when I was still in uh, getting my diplomas and graduating, I decided to write my master's on Scrum, uh, even though uh, Agile was just the word where I was working. I was working in telecom. Uh, I became I was always intrigued with something new. So first it was ITIL, then it was Agile, something new coming. And I was curious about that. And Scrum seemed so well-defined and yet so hard to implement. So I decided to write my master's paper on that, and I did. Uh, anyway, so years were passing, and of course, Agile became sort of not in, in, inevitable, but the desired way of working. So everyone wanted that, no matter what it mean for, meant for them. So I was working more and more in, that, in the Agile nature with projects and products. And then I moved to Hong Kong, and I realized that my Agile skills can be applied here too. And I moved already being certified and with some experience. And that's been a little bit more than three years ago. So when you were working for this telecom company and you were writing this paper on, on Scrum, were you already working in, in Scrum and just that the, the higher-ups just didn't know about it? Uh, the thing is that uh, the company I was working with, they were very similar to every company starting with Agile. It's when here and there specific people emerge with an idea that Agile may work in this company. Uh, we may be more productive and happier doing that over what we were doing until now. And so me being one of those people. But at that point, I was more into support organizations. So I ITIL mm. uh, made more sense. But when, we, when I moved to projects, again, the company had very well-defined gate model. So waterfall model. Nothing wrong with that. But then uh, I was part of the project which was introducing a uh, unified service desk for the whole telecom market, which was to become ITIL as well. Uh, but we had a very small group of people delivering this. And all of a, it was a handful of people. I think it was not more than five. And we all decided we will do it in agile manner because we are progressive people here and we want to do it and we believe in it. And that's what actually helped because uh, historically this project was uh, surviving third iteration, so third attempt to implement it. And first two were too massive, too many people working, too much planning, uh, too, too bigger of a roadmap, too big. Uh, here we decided, okay, uh, what do we do in the next iteration? Hop, hop, hop. We designed it. We presented it. It was nice. Uh, what will be the onboarding procedure? What we do first, next? And that was amazing. So in, a, in, in, in weeks, we had service desk working in a huge telecom operator. Everyone knew where to go. Uh, we sold this idea to system managers. We unified, connected, and it was smooth. It was what I called uh, afterwards, it was a boring project. It was so <laughs> predictable. It was so comfortable. It was just sliding. We had no problems at all. We we're just rolling, rolling, rolling until it was there. So it was just fun. And that's what I made out like it, the project should be boring, meaning there's no uh, overtime, no weekend work, no escalations, no firefighting, no stress, no people missing lunches and hating themselves, you know. So making project boring is, uh, it sounds wrong, but it's actually what it should be. It should be comfortable to come to work and enjoy it. 
instead of firefighting and being upset. And I wonder why they were so uh, confused with your paper. You know, let's make work boring. <laughs> Scrum. This is how we're going to deliver. That was not the message. <laughs> but if I if I could go back, maybe that's what I would try to sell. As somebody that's been there and done that for ITIL and Scrum, besides using Agile as a way of managing ITIL projects, do you see any other overlap of the two approaches to managing an IT organization? Uh, I wouldn't say an overlap. I think that usually organizations who are sort of comfortable with ITIL, there's always a room of improvement. What I also observed is that uh, maybe run, uh, jumping from ITIL into Scrum is a far stretch and it doesn't mean that scrum is better and itil is 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 worse uh, but what comes naturally as an involvement to other ways of working can be lean uh, because people really like to look okay we are doing something great we are happy where we are but what can we improve and lean usually comes with addressing uh, potential to improve they apply lean practices there's a change they like being changed so they see the results and maybe they stay, stay with Lean, maybe they move slowly into Kanban. And as we know, Kanban, both parents call it my child. So Lean says Kanban is <laughs> us. And Agile says Kanban is us too. And it's a very hard topic. <laughs> what is better, uh, cats or dogs, right? But if the intention is, what can we change? Is there anything we can improve? I think Lean uh, may come naturally, looking at points of waste. And maybe Kanban is the next step. And if they feel like they can be working at, at a goal in iterations for two weeks, maybe Scrum is the next step. So speaking of next steps, how about the move to Hong Kong? What did you see as the main differences in the agile practices between Hong Kong and where you were previously? In the matter of how the market is prepared and interested, I wouldn't say there's a huge gap. The biggest difference is how organizations are adopting into self-organizing teams. So we looked into cultural dimensions and uh, the study about how cultures perceive uh, individualistic and group uh, practices and command practices. And of course, markets are very different. Uh, if we group markets, let's say in Europe, where I come from with markets from Asia, it's different expectations. So if I have a leader, uh, I'm expecting them to have a bigger impact on my decisions, on my course of action. And if someone is a coach coming, hey, now we're agile, stop doing that and start doing this, it may not just kick off and there may be frustration why to do this and how to do this and is my manager really comfortable with me uh, executing my own decisions and coming up with them and taking responsibility or should I validate, should I verify? Sorry, do you remember the name of the study? Yes, Hofstadter's Cultural Dimensions. So it's a study around the market. So you can go online and check, uh, enter the, uh, the country and compare it with another country. It will be comparing on several dimensions, um, six dimensions, or it's uh, orientation of a long-term versus short-term, indulgence, avoiding uncertainty, individualism, power distance, and masculinity of the culture. So just checking what the, how, the, how the culture is evolving compared to what you're used to work with, it may be very insightful. Okay, so you've done some reading, you try and adjust your style a little bit. Uh, so what do you actually do when you go and coach a market for the first time? Uh, it's, uh, every time it's very, very different. 
depends on whether uh, the request comes uh, to coach specific team. And that's usually within organizations or markets who are already starting agile. They believe they're on the right way. They just want specific products or teams to, how they say, be better in agile. Or if you approach uh, organization, um, one of the company's markets, and let's say there is a drive for the whole for the whole market to adopt agile practices. And if that's the latter, then um, I usually say it's we, what, what I personally suggest, we need to identify our ambassadors for, for this change. Uh, one person as a coach cannot change hundreds of thousands of people, no matter how much they try, no matter what they organize. Uh, it's a process, but I think the process comes smoother when you have uh, people, especially in critical leadership positions, who are ambassadors for your change. And it's not someone you appoint, it's someone who actually feels it, who wants to become that. So as a coach or coaching organization, it's important to have those people, find those people and adopt change through them. And the more people you can identify is really super excited of the change coming. Uh, the smoother it will go. And then it's usually all the same. So you introduce others. Uh, there are trainings. And it's very hard to uh, separate introduction or sharing a message from the training. Training is when you need to have, uh, need to equip specific individuals with other ways how they're going to execute something. Whereas introduction to Agile, for example, it's when you sell the story. So you come and you... Uh, illustrate what is it going to be about, why it's now natural ways, uh, what's the benefits. And it's important to deliver this message in a uh, funny, emotionally positive way so people have some exciting aha moments in your class and don't fall asleep during that. So it should be exercises, it should be uh, good stories, you need to be connecting with the audience. There should be something they, they leave the room and tell others about, something they remember. So it's important to make whatever steps on the journey of change that are coming uh, to have emotionally positive impacts to people so they feel engaged they feel uh, they remember it the change is something positive and always be open and provide channels for more information and then always be there supportive of them uh, especially in the beginning of how things go and uh, I noticed that sometimes coaches uh, we are all very passionate people. We want people to change. We want them to see happier. Uh, we want them to succeed. And sometimes as coaches, we can become very impatient. Uh, like we already told you so many things. We believe in you so much. Why are you still not agile? <laughs> What's wrong? What am I doing wrong? What is what is happening? Why, why is it not there? So I think it's very crucial for coaches. And if there's any coaches listening, my advice is uh, please hold on with your impatience and with your perfectionism. It will take time and uh, don't be discouraged. Uh, just be there for people. It takes different time, different dynamics. It's nothing you're doing wrong or people are resisting. It's a time process. It, 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 takes, it takes time. So just be there, invest, be open, be supportive. And it cannot go wrong if you're doing those things. So I've heard you talk a lot about the idea of positivity so far and you're been in a very positive mood yourself. How would you recommend coaches help develop positivity in others? What always works is some small victories that people achieve together. 
so as a coach looking from the side, I think it's very crucial you help people to identify what can be small wins uh, that they don't, let's say, over plan in the first iterations, don't overcommit and then see that being upset or oh, we planned 120 items to be delivered in two weeks but we only delivered 40. Maybe for the beginning, planning 120 and delivering 40 will be discouraging for them. So how about you help them to, let's say, plan 30 to 40, and then they deliver 40, and they say, wow, uh, don't overplan, uh, be realistic, and small wins, actual achievements, they engage people. They did it together, concentrating on helping teams to achieve small wins together as a group. This is very, very helpful to unite them over, over the change. So I want to go back to this earlier comment about loving Jira or at least being passionate about Jira. I think loving is putting words into your mouth. Can you tell us about how you've made Jira a powerful thing for you and your teams to use? <laughs> right. So uh, I think it's not about just loving Jira. It's about loving all IT products. I wouldn't say it's the best thing you can have. And that's the only thing you need to be successful in Agile or anything close to that. There are other alternative products. So whatever you use and makes people engaged and happy, as long as there are two things solved, uh, one is uh, it's, a, it's a life and update it. Uh, and uh, people can uh, access it easily around the organization. Then whatever it is, uh, it's serving the purpose. And next one is so right now, especially in Asia, uh, for companies working in multi-markets, if I work with a team working, uh, delivering important products for more than just where I sit, uh, there may be stakeholders located in another country. So they may be curious about specific items, right? So how do they access my board if it's here on the whiteboard, but they're over the board? So that's why being online, maybe fortunately, maybe unfortunately, is a driver here. And it's especially proven uh, valuable now when we were moving into remote work due to the pandemic situation. So when teams were having online boards, it's proved easier for them to transition. I, I'm a big fan of physical boards too. I really like uh, moving cards, even though post-its are just paper and we need to be considerate of saving rainforest and be really mindful of the of the planets, but I really like the boards. I really like physical movements and when the team is united over specific area. Uh, but it's very hard to survive without being online. And Jira or other me other means of doing it, it doesn't matter. Uh, I I just like Jira because of uh, connections it has, uh, links it has with other packaged uh, applications like Confluence and online uh, messaging platforms like Slack, so you can work it all together. But by no means, it's the best a team can have. So again, whatever works, whatever whatever unites people together, that should do. Okay, so I know you said you're a big fan of IT tools, but are there any particular agile practices that you are a fan of or that you would recommend to others? Something I would just maybe use an opportunity to remind everyone, and I uh, I see it being frequently omitted, two things. One, if the teams are really doing Scrum and they are considered we are Scrumming, we are Scrum team, uh, please always remember that Scrum, Scrum comes with sprint goal. And I often see that teams skip this 
or they create sprint goal after they created sprint backlog. Uh, and another thing is another, uh, something that also Scrum suggests, there should be at least one improvement item for the team from the retrospective in the next sprint. Again, very often uh, disregarded for the sake of delivering new features. But have you ever run into a situation where the team really doesn't know the sprint goal or how to define that upfront? Uh, that's pretty often. And I always see a symptom when I ask the team, okay, what's what's this spring goal? And, and they show me a list of things. Uh, so basically it's the same spring backlog, but it's just combined. So I say there are five things to, as a spring goal, like a list of items. Uh, this is a symptom for me that they first selected sprint backlog and then they try to come with a goal for that, all of them. And they couldn't because there's so different things, so many different things. And that's when we usually uh, talk to the product owner and ask, okay, what's the common direction for the release, for the customer value? Where What's the roadmap? How are we getting there? What's the major milestones? And it's not just doing things top picking things from the product backlog, there should be vision and direction. So for me, this is all a symptom of not having clear direction. We're just satisfying some quick wins, some quick demands from somewhere, fighting for something, but there's no vision. If the vision exists, then usually product owner and the team, they can come up with a goal they want to achieve in two weeks. So as a coach, I see this as a symptom. Uh, the vision is really not working here. And shifting focus just slightly, how do you coach product owners from all across Asia and make sure that your message still gets across despite language barriers that might be in place? Now I'm making the assumption that you don't speak 10 different Asian languages fluently. Uh, yeah, it's a very valid question. I generally find that people are fine with understanding English. It requires me as a coach to speak slower and repeat the same message two, three times uh, in different words to make sure it's delivered. Uh, so, yeah, but we, uh, when, when we are delivering trainings, uh, coaching sessions, anything, uh, if we fi uh, find it beneficial that sometimes we need to invite a translator. And the problem is that, let's say, if you're planning a training for two hours, you need to make sure that either your topic is shorter now, so there's a room for a translation, or you book longer time for a training. So instead of two hours, it can be three hours or four hours because the same message will be repeated. Uh, what is harder in this case is that uh, sometimes the audience is not comfortable with their English. So even though they understand what you deliver uh, in a training or in, in, a, in a just uh, chatting over a coffee environment, people are not so un unconfident in their English that they don't, uh, they don't ask questions. Uh, they say, I, I don't know what's this word or I don't want, I don't, my English is so bad, I, don't, I will not ask anything. So it's very hard to read whether there's really no questions or there's no questions because people are hesitant. So as a coach, you need to really uh, draw people out and ask questions yourself to make sure they understand it and there's maybe something hidden. So it's a lot of guesswork, a lot of proactivity from your side. So this is this is a challenge here. All right. I'm interested in this concept of guesswork. Can you tell us more about what you actually mean by that? It's asking people for examples. So you explain something, deliver something, then you share your example, then you explain again, then you invite the audience to share examples. Or if you think that 
or you still see, sense there's silence. So you ask, uh, what do you guys think about it? Have you, what have you encountered in your experience, in your work? And there's silence, right? So no one is sharing. And you're so sure there are so many examples. Uh, what helps me is uh, asking uh, yes or no questions. So uh, let's say ask, do you think it's a good idea to do it this way? Then ask, answering yes or no is usually easier for the people. And if suddenly you hear one half of the audience answering yes, another half answering no, then it's already something to talk about, right? Or as long as people started opening the mouth with a yes or no after a couple of questions, then you can answer, ask an open question now. Some of the facilitation techniques which we teach Scrum Masters is announcing uh, that you will be asking something everyone to share. So at least people, very hesitant people in the room, in the class, they say, oh my God, I will be asked, okay, I have a few minutes to prepare. What do I say, right? So at least you announce this in advance so they have time to think. So it's a lot of techniques, but uh, finding someone to connect with, asking simple questions first, uh, yes, no, yes, no, then open questions, then someone will speak, uh, then inviting others, providing safe environment and announcing how many people you would like to hear, giving them time to, to speak and being very, very positive. Even if the answer is super wrong, not what you seek, you didn't say, no, it's not right. It's not quite what I'm looking for. But you say, yeah, yeah, it's really good. Other examples something maybe something as good as this better so staying super positive and providing this this safe environment so i know you're a person with a lot of different hobbies do you see any strong parallels between agile practices and something that you do outside of work so to speak i'm also passionate about uh, staying healthy so i'm learning nutrition and practices to help people stay healthy so uh, it's all inspect and adapt processes so working and having friends uh, working with people usually the topic very popular topic is how do I lose weight especially on the quarantine uh, you can try the same ways with different people and you will see different results so trying something looking back inspecting that and adopting does it work for me or not is it my way to uh, work on my health or not and then adopting the changes I think that practice is just basically everywhere. And it may be the same with teams, whatever improvements you may be seeking or processes you think, oh, it's always worked. Now you come to another team working agile and you realize there is no progress there. Something is not moving on. So why is it this way? Okay. You mentioned the keyword quarantine, COVID-19. Is there anything specific that you are doing as an agile coach to help your teams cope with these circumstances? Uh, I was very happy to find out that teams are not as impacted as I anticipated would be. So I think uh, working, having delivery teams across different markets for many uh, organizations, that was the key already. So people are used to online meetings, video calls, online boards. There's not so much change. It's just like, okay, now I'm working from home more than I used to do before. So people were not really shocked. They were not really delayed in their progress. Some people reported they were more busy, much busier than they were before, uh, which is interesting, right? So some people reported they were more productive, which is, again, an interesting discovery. So we talked about that, and we were also sharing uh, 
tools and tips and tricks how to work remotely more efficient, uh, especially Scrum Masters, what to be considerate of, how they can help the teams. And I think I'm happy to say that, in my opinion, it went pretty well. I think we managed pretty well. We didn't see any delays, drawbacks, or uh, any distress for the teams. So I'm just now looking forward for everyone to be back. And then I'll discuss what did we learn. So have some kind of big retrospective uh, with different teams to see what did it mean for us to be so remote? What did we learn? Is there anything we can do differently now when we are back in the office? And learn from it. Okay, and to tap into your positivity one last time, uh, can you tell us about what hopes or dreams or vision you have for the future of Agile or the future of uh, the role of an Agile coach? <laughs> uh, it will be something similar to what I said, that every project should be boring. <laughs> um, <laughs> some other very uh, drastic message is I'm saying that Agile coaches should become obsolete uh, why? Because everyone will be so agile that uh, agile coaches will not be necessary anymore, right? So that's the dream state of things. Uh, but I also think agile is not the final state of any organization or any product delivery. Uh, so before there was no agile, we were doing something else. Before something else, we we're doing something else. Uh, it's a lot of things uh, humanity comes up with. So I think after agile, we may discover even better ways to be organized uh, will 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 evolve. So it's not the final state. We're always seeking for uh, better ways to keep more engaged, to deliver better value, uh, to be there for the customers, to make uh, employees happier and engaged at work. So there may be more practices coming. They may be more agile practices of all appearing. Uh, maybe they will have different names. And I think for coaches to evolve, uh, without thinking to becoming obsolete, but in their role. <clears throat> Once you learn the practices of Scrum, Agile, I think there is no limits for expanding your interpersonal skills and social skills and psychological skills. So that's basically infinite. You cannot finish learning that. So that's what I'm entertaining myself. So even though I feel like I'm very skilled with delivering the world of Agile, but how to do that? Also approach various people, individually or groups. That's still a lot to learn for me and I think for any coach. So thank you very much, Yelena, for sharing your story with us. And even if it is uh, being obsolete, uh, we wish you all the best for whatever the future might bring. Thank you for having me here. So that brings us to the end of another Agile Hong Kong podcast. Now, when still not legally able to organize any physical meetups, but keep an eye out on meetup.com for news of virtual meetups and we might try and put out another podcast. We'd love your feedback on the few that we've done so far and especially if you want to hear about any particular topics or have us interview any particular people in the Agile industry so you can hear more about how they apply Agile to their day-to-day. -day. So until next time, take care, stay safe.